to specially welcome everyone to the fifth in this series. Um, we have all the messages, as you are aware, on our LiveGate Outreach TV page and YouTube, and we also have them on podcasts, and so you can revisit them. Every key is a significant value in terms of us truly becoming the persons God wants us to be. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everything God, by the special grace of God, everything God lays on my heart to preach or to share with you are born out of things from scripture and virtually all the time, if not every time, they are things that God has helped me to test and prove over the years. And so I speak authoritatively about these things by the grace of God to let you know that as they deliver in my life and in the lives of those that I have witnessed and have studied from scripture and in our contemporary times, I believe that they will keep, to, they will keep delivering in your life also in the name of Jesus. So today we are looking at the kingdom prosperity key of diligence and I would like to welcome those who are listening to this by podcast and also watching through LifeGate Outreach TV. I want to say the Lord continue to bless you. The Lord continue to honor you also in the name of Jesus. The kingdom prosperity key of diligence is our banner today and is our topic today. And I just put a banner, very simple banner I designed, which is a template that helps me to at least express something. I'd like you to remember this every time you think about this message on the two colors that are predominantly presented there, the brownish color and the greenish color at the back. Many times we use brown and black and dark colors to represent sweat and work, dirt. And we use green to represent evergreen, money, things that are fruitful and prosperity. Praise the Lord. And so I want to say that what this principle is teaching us is about how to understand the place of laboring with God in order to enjoy the green. Hallelujah. Jesus said, I am the door. He said, anyone that comes in, or I am the gate, anyone that comes in through me will come in and go out and find what? Pasture. He will go out and find good. He will find prosperity. That simply means God desires that you prosper. But the aspect of diligence, which simply means a careful, somebody say careful, and persistent, then two things must go together. Careful and persistent work or effort is what the word diligence is. And just by that definition, you can see that it can apply to anybody. Anybody that can work hard can be diligent, whether he's a Christian, a Muslim, a Sikh, or uh, Buddhist, or any, any religion, or no religion at all. Because diligence just involves you working and getting a produce or a product from that work. But I want to say that as kingdom people, we must understand the place of godly diligence and what God expects of us that makes us different from every other person. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So diligence is a very required virtue in every matter of life. It helps us to destroy the scourge of laziness. The Bible in several scriptures talk about laziness. 
God hates and detests laziness. There is nothing about laziness that is godly. It is of the devil. It is a strategy to rob the creation of God of dignity. The Bible says God himself walked. He walked and then he rested. God is a worker. Say with me, God is a worker. And that is why he's still working. Jesus came and said, my father hitherto walked and I walk also. Praise the Lord. And when he was living, he said the Holy Spirit will come and work. What will he do? He will enable you to do the work. So he still is walking in and through us today. That is why Philippians 2.13 said it is, he is the God that is able to walk in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Praise the Lord. Some scriptures that tell us that God hates laziness in Proverbs chapter 13 verse 4. says the soul of a lazy man, read it with me, desires and he has what? Nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Proverbs 21 verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to what? Plenty. But those of everyone who is hasty, somebody say hasty, surely to poverty, you will not be lazy and you will not be hasty. I say you will not be lazy and you will not be hasty. I curse every trace of laziness and haste in your life in the name of Jesus The Bible says the plants, and every time you read the whole of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1 to 32 that we read in our Bible reading shows us every time you read scriptures like that, they have two parts. It tells you the good part, and then it tells you the contrary part. It tells you the part that is for the righteous, the part that is for the unrighteous, the part here that is for the diligent, and the part that is for those who are not diligent. So that means everything about haste is not anything to do with diligence. We must understand this in this time because we are in a pressured world where there is, as I always say, a crazy rat race. And everyone, if care is not taken, believer or unbeliever, are jumping into that haste. People doing anything, anyhow, just to make it. And believers will now think that some of that is diligence. Haste has nothing to do with diligence. The Bible says, I lay in Zion a foundation a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. He said it is a sure foundation. Somebody say sure foundation. He said he that believes it shall not make haste. This haste has pushed many pastors to go seeking for other powers just because they want to grow the church. This haste has has pushed many people go seeking for things that are outside godly provisions just because they want to make it by any means. The Bible says he is a sure foundation. What you need to do per time is to make sure that you have him as your foundation. When you have him as your foundation, you walk with him steadily. Praise the Lord. So when we are talking about diligence, we are not talking about diligence in the way of the world. The way of the world will be hasty. But the Bible says it surely leads to poverty. Poverty doesn't just mean somebody doesn't have food to eat. The poorest man on earth is the man who has all the resources of this life, but has no God. He's the poorest man. The poorest man on earth is the person who has every wealth that you can think about, but has no relationship with Jesus Christ. 
That is poverty. Mark 8, 36 says, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? Hallelujah. I want us to understand when we talk about diligence and we talk about kingdom prosperity and we talk about these things, we must understand it in the context of scripture. That's why God was very emphatic to Joshua. He said, you will have good success because God chooses his words carefully. There is success. People can succeed doing anything. If you're a good business man, you succeed. You will employ people. Your business will prosper. The biggest billionaires on earth today, a lot of them are not believers. Some of them are even atheists, not that they have other religions that, that think they know God. They even deny the presence of God or the existence, rather, of God. But yet, they control billions. But those billions are successes, but they are not good success. I was watching on, I was listening to some articles and things on social media the other day, and people having arguments about how Christians are saying that only they have rights to prosper. And uh, obviously, stemming out of the issues on, on, on tithes and offerings and all those things. And uh, somebody said, after all, this was supposed to be a Christian. He said, after all, the likes of Mark Zuckerberg, the likes of Bill Gates, the likes of Aliko Dangote from Nigeria, and others like that who are notably observed and accepted as wealthy billionaires in these times are not saved. People like Warren Buffett, who is worth about $90 billion in assets today, that they are not saved. So why are Christians saying that the only, they're the only ones that have access to kingdom prosperity? That how about all those people? And then I remember what David said in Psalm 73. And we're not going to read it now, but I, I want you to take time to go and read the whole of Psalm 73 from verse 1. David asked the same question. He said, God, how is it that all these people that are slandering your name, how is it that they are prospering? How is it that they have everything? And, and we are, are just sort of like struggling, as it were. I'm paraphrasing now, but read the whole chapter, Psalm 73. But he said something in verse 17. He said, until I went into the temple, then I understood their end. <laughs> in the temple, my eyes were open to see that it is not about amassing wealth. It's not about having billions in your account. It is about knowing the God who truly supplies all things. Hallelujah. So the next time anybody tells you and says, oh, after all, people will prosper without being Christians, tell them that that is not prosperity at all. That is riches. And riches can be to anybody. When the Bible talks about good success and divine wealth, he is talking about a people who have built their wealth and their resources on the fear of God. Hallelujah. And I pray that God will continue to expound these words in the name of Jesus. There is nothing you need 100 million pounds for without Jesus in it. It is better you have 100 pounds in your account that is blessed by God because your life is blessed than to have 100 million that has no God. In fact, that has Satan in it. When we talk about prosperity in the kingdom of God and people are shooting it down and knocking it down, they must understand that what we are talking about is a God-centered, God-fearing, God-motivated, God-inspired, God-enabled, God-surrounded, God-sustained degree of wealth that has nothing to do with manipulating people, that has nothing to do with cheating people, that has nothing to do with fraud, that has nothing to do with doing things that are ungodly. 
But going by the principles of God and working diligently according to the terms and provisions of scripture in order to accomplish that which God has said. And that will be your portion continually. In the name of Jesus. So diligence is something that enables us to enjoy enduring kingdom prosperity in all aspects of life. I want us to quickly look at Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27 from verse 23. Let's read together very quickly because of time. Be diligent. It's on the screen. Let's go together. One, two, go. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Verse 24. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. Verse 25. When the hay is removed... And the tender grass shows itself, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in. Let's see what the Bible says in verse 26. The lambs will provide your clothing, and the goats the price of a field. Verse 27, let's shout, shout it loud. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food. Number one, for the food of your household. Number two, and the nourishment of your maid servants. Number three, that is prosperity. You will have enough. I've told you that prosperity, kingdom prosperity, is always having enough of God's supplied resources to do that which he has commanded you to do, to feed yourself, to feed your household, and to nourish others. Praise the Lord. To be a blessing to others. The third group includes what you do in terms of serving God in the, in, the, in the kingdom, making your resources available so that others can hear the word of God, so that things can be broadcast to the world, uh, to the world and, and you are putting your money into that and supporting that. It also includes your being a blessing to other people, people who, are, who you can bless. And I want to say something. Many times when we talk about blessing other people, what first comes to our mind is giving to the needy. There are two types of giving to people. Somebody say giving up, giving downwards. Say giving downwards and giving upwards. There are some people that don't need a penny from you, but you still have to give to them. Because when you raise your hand to give upward, God pulls you up. Praise the Lord. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 7 that without all contradictions, that the lesser will be blessed of the greater. So every time you give a greater, they bless you from their soul. And what a blessing does, I told you the other time that a blessing is an enablement. A curse is a deterrent. A blessing is an enablement. So when you bless a better in quote, and they pray from their heart for you, what you are allowing yourself to do is to be pulled into their own level of blessing. When you bless the poor, they cannot do anything for you. That's why God say you are, you, 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 you are like somebody who is paying a debt that he would reward you, Psalm 41. The Bible says he that lends to the poor, that is he that gives to the poor, shall be blessed of the Lord. So God is the one who bless. They can bless you. And they can say, oh, God bless you, sir. But they can't do anything for you in that regard because as it were, you are releasing to them from the abundance that God has given to you for the food of your household, the nourishment, and you are reaching out to the nourishment of your maid servants. I know we talked about giving, and that's not our emphasis today, but just so that we understand, there are certain people that, no matter what it is, 
take what, something, give to them. You may think, this person doesn't need this. In fact, many times, in truth, they don't need it. But if you give to them, they pray from you, for you from their heart, and it is part of what God uses to also bless you. How many people understand what I'm talking about? And these things don't have to do only with money. I want to quickly tell you five things, very quickly, that diligence requires. It's very important that we have these five things. Say with me, vision. Say, diligence requires vision. Say, diligence requires focus. Say, diligence requires work. Say, diligence requires strategy. I mean, diligence requires strategy. And the fifth thing, say, diligence requires time management. So these five things is what I want to quickly share with us. Vision, focus, work, strategy, and time management. All from the context of scripture. Vision simply has something to do with God impressing on your heart who you ought to be, your, your purpose established in pictures. God showing you constantly that you are going to be an entrepreneur, employing people in their hundreds and their thousands, and that picture never goes away. That's a vision. That's God showing you. Proverbs 29, 18, we can't get away from it when we talk about vision. He said, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who does what? Who keeps the law. Where there is no vision, revelation is the same word, a revealing of your vision. Where there is no revelation, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. King James said they perish. We must understand that it is impossible for you to walk and be diligent in something that you cannot see is your future. The reason why you put energy, put time, put money into something is because you can see that it, is, it has a future for you. Praise the Lord. We commit to things that we can see. Why was Joseph so persistent in, his, in keeping himself and just going despite what was happening to him? Because he saw something that nobody else could see. He saw it twice. So when God helps you to see a vision, you are a committed person and it aids your diligence in that which you become. Praise the Lord. What you see in the spirit determines what you become or are able to achieve in the physical. You must understand. You see it first in the spirit and then you begin to see it. I saw you first in the spirit, in quote, as far back as December 1998. Don't say what, was you, what were you looking at like then. I don't know. But I was on a flight when God first told me that there was an assignment of this nature. He just told me he's taking me out of my home country to minister his word in a unique way. Now, I didn't know what all that meant. But as time went on, it began to unfold. And then I understood that this is what God was saying as far back as that time. And so the energy is there. When God spoke to Jeremiah, he said something. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, you know, God called Jeremiah from the womb and all that. But in verse 11, he said, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Verse 12 says, Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. Praise the Lord. When you see, say to your neighbor, When you see what God sees, He will perform what He says. Go and check it. Anytime God wants to do something with a person, He says, What do you see? Or he will say, go and look. Abraham, he said, go and look. Isn't it? Everyone will see something. When he called Saul, he came to him. He said, Saul, Saul. He appeared to him so that he can see him. 
Say, why do you persecute me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus. Acts chapter 9, verse 6. He said, he said to him, verse, verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? The reason why many people are not asking what God wants them to do is because they really haven't seen Jesus just yet. When you see Jesus, you know that you will keep asking him, Lord, what do you want me to do? And when you see him, what I mean by that is that when you have a revelation of who he is, they would beg you, you will not be saying to people, I don't know what to do. Because when you see Jesus, one thing you will always be asking yourself, asking him, is Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Bible says, God said to him, verse 6, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, what? Arise and go to the city and you will be told what you, what? What you should try to do? What you may do? What you must do because the work of diligence as given to God is a compulsory work. Your assignment here on earth is compulsory. I've told you so many times when God called me into this ministry, this phase of my ministry work, I said to him, I said, Lord, you have given me enough to do. And truly, God is my witness. God has given me so much to do. I am truly blessed. I am truly glad. I am truly, truly glad. I, 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 I'm, I've really blessed God for what he does in my life. I, I mean it from the depth of my heart. And I said to him, I said, Lord, but you gave me this to do, that to do. And you helped me. I, I'm enjoying it. I like it. And you know, I preach. I go around and I do that. And he said, this is not another job for you. It is an assignment. And from that day, it changed everything for me. I understood that I have to be diligent about the assignment and to allow God to have his way. So we know that we can obtain vision through divine positioning. When you are in the place God wants you to be, and God finds you in the place he desires to locate you, like he located Saul. Saul was going the way to Damascus, and right there in Damascus, Jesus Jesus had already prepared Ananias. He had already prepared the persons who who were going to disciple him into what he must do. So the moment he got on that journey, that was the divine placement. He didn't know. He thought he was going there to persecute Christians. He had obtained letters. He was going there to arrest Christians. And God decided that it was time. He intervened. Praise the Lord. May the Lord continue to step in in every one of your journeys. In the name of Jesus. And we also need to continue to make inquiries. Jeremiah also said in 33 verse 3, Call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. So we need vision. Somebody say, God will show me, will show me. when I ask him. It doesn't, it doesn't need a, a 21-day fast. It may, but it doesn't always have to. Many times, you just need to be sincere. God is not wicked. When people say to me, I'm not hearing God, I say, no, you can't. God is not wicked. He can't just leave you for 10 days. It's something you need to hear. 10 days, 15 days, 20 days, and then he's not talking to you? No. What usually happens is that he's saying something you don't want to hear. He's saying something that does not agree with your person and your plans. And he's telling you, that's what I want for you. But as long as your mind is locked into what you want to hear, it will seem as if he's not talking. How many people understand what I'm saying? 
So we must understand our minds. He said to me, let's read it now. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That is vision. Did he say, kneel down and fast and go for 50 days and and make sure that uh, you have five prophets pray for you before I answer? But that's what many Christians do. They say, I have not heard God. I'm leaving that church. I didn't hear God last year. Throughout, they say, God, I didn't hear God one thing. I'm going away to another church. So when he goes to that church, they say, you are prophet, super, superstar prophet. Say, prophet, lay hands on me. I want to hear God. That one, innocent man, if he's a man of God truly, he doesn't, doesn't know, so he lay hands, he pray. After one year, he will tell that prophet that, you know what, I can't hear God here. <laughs> That's why they hop about and hop about and hop about, and they don't understand that the way to hear God is just simply to do what? Call. And he will answer and do what? Show. When you call, say, when I call, he will answer and he will show me. Great and mighty things that I do not know. When you hear God and he tells you the things that you do not know, life becomes easier. Diligence is possible. Why do I have the energy to do what I do? The message I preach in one year, since this church has started running almost five years now, the messages I preach in one year, just one year of each of the four years, is more than all the messages I've preached combined together. In all my almost 30 years of preaching at that point in time. You must have vision. You must have vision. Tell your neighbor for me, have vision. Number two, focus. This is very close to vision, but this is the ability to overcome destructive forces. Everyone who must accomplish anything for God will be distracted. Distraction will come. Distractions will come from within and from without. Hebrews chapter 12, we always talk about Jesus Christ in verse 2. We must keep looking on to Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy, joy, joy that was set before him. He did what? He endured the cross. He despised the shame. If you are not ready to despise shame, you are not ready to go to higher levels with God. Regardless of the area God calls you. If God calls you to be a big time uh, businessman who, will, who would employ a lot of people, you must be ready to face shame. Because at times, business doesn't go well. Haven't you heard of people who their business is bankrupt? So at times, you must be ready that even if it doesn't go well, you must be able to stand. Not to talk of ministry. This is happen, And so people don't want, they don't want to the shame. They, 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 they don't want it. But the Bible says Jesus despised the shame. I always told my wife, I said something to you, I said, if they spat on him, if they spat on him and they called him names, why should I be feeling ashamed if somebody looks at me and calls me anything because of him? So I have killed everything called shame. That does not give you liberty to call me anything you like, but if you do, if you like, do it. It means nothing to me again. As far as I'm doing this work God has given to me, no human being must be able to intimidate you in your place of diligence. You are there at your desk doing the best that God has called you to do in that hospital, in that desk that you work, in that factory, in that school that you teach, in the various places that you are, in the place you sell things and do your your business. You are there, a servant of God, and somebody wants to intimidate you. Don't ever allow those kind of things to happen. The Bible says your Lord and Master, who for the joy that was set before him, 
keep allowing the joy of your vision to keep being set before you. Hallelujah. You find energy in it. You despise the shame. The reason why you are securely prospered is because you are in the will of God, putting your energy in the things of God and doing what God has said. Not allowing anything called shame to try to intimidate you. You will not be intimidated. I say you will not be intimidated. I grew up with Christians. I was born in church life almost five decades now across three continents. I have never seen a better improved version of Christians. The same problems everywhere, the same life, the same things. My father's generation, my elder brother's generation, my generation, the ones coming. No difference. They are the same kind of people. So there's nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. It existed in the days of old. It is still existing now. Don't let anyone debar you from taking your rightful place in this kingdom and doing what God has said you should do. Within or outside the church. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. James chapter 1 verse 12. He said, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved. Somebody say, when he has been approved. The reason why God allows temptation is so that he can prove you. Is that not what he said to Abraham? He said, now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you love me. Because you did not withhold what I thought was very precious to you. So you must understand that God is allowing you to go through certain things because it is process. Somebody say process. Say process. So we must understand the place of focus. A lot of people are distracted and so they lose focus. When you lose focus and you are looking at other people, comparing yourself with other people, or listening to what other people are saying, positive or negative, you will lose focus and you cannot be as diligent as you ought to be. May the Lord deliver us from every distraction. In the name of Jesus. This does not in any way mean that we just are brute and we're just carrying on, not listening to people. That's not what I'm talking about. But you must understand, I filter everything I hear. If what you are telling me is not going to build me up, right where you are telling me, I'm taking it and putting it where it ought to be. I'm taking it and putting it where it ought to be because I will not let any human being corrupt my spirit man for my God. You must not allow it. The Bible says you should guard your heart with all what? Diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. A lot of people have been cowered down and bowed down, especially those who have come from other countries. They came, they stamped something on your passport. They said not permitted to walk, not permitted to move, not permitted to breathe, not permitted to drink water without permission. I know it's not that hard, but then. <laughs> but that thing on your passport, in many times, if you let it get too much into your brain, even when they free you up to say you are now free to do everything, it still puts rings, it still puts a ring around many people that I've seen. After years of hearing that you cannot get this, you cannot get that, you can't do this, you can't do that. Now they say you can do everything. But in the person's mind, he has been so beaten down, he can't even think outside that box again. It's a demonic strategy. Because a lot of people have been brought back to this country to evangelize the nation. They have been brought back to do the work of ministry and to get this country back on its feet again. To find its history in God again. But the devil knows that as long as there is that kind of immigration system that makes it very difficult for people to thrive. The people who are doing it think they are doing a good thing because it is a way in their own mind to control immigration. But the devil is using it very hard to control the mind of people. So even believers are coming to a place of freedom when they even get through and become citizens, they are still not free in their mind in many cases. You say, brother, what are you doing? What are your ideas? He said, this is the job I have. I've been doing this job. They pay me 2,000 pounds or whatever it is. And you say, too, but you know you can do this, you can do that. You can try this, you can try that. 
He said, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. Because somebody had told him before that he couldn't do more than that one thing that he had on his paper. If he was a student, he could only be in school and work for a certain number of hours. If he was on a work permit, he could only do that work and do nothing else. So for years, the, the, his mind has been conditioned that he can't do anything else. I want you to know that for you to be a diligent person, you must allow yourself to be focused on the word of God. Say, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. The third thing is we must put in work. We can't talk about diligence without talking about work. Work is important. There was a school that used to go in the 80s and tell people to do everything by faith. Name it and claim it. They see somebody's car, they say, I name it and claim it. That Mercedes Benz, I name it, I claim it. And they are not doing any work, no business, nothing. <laughs> and they stay in their rooms and name and claim things. That was the, 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 <laughs> the worst thing that ever happened to the body of Christ. The Bible says, he who does not walk must not eat. Proverbs 14, 23, say, in all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads to what? Poverty. We must understand the place of labor. When the Bible talks about labor and work, we must understand that this has to do with working with God and God helping us. Not just the labor of man. In the power tower today, Pastor Moses was preaching sharing and he was telling us that you know there is a certain way there's a certain limit to what the labor of man can achieve very true you must understand the place of God helping you to in order to be able to do the things that you are called to do so when the bible says in all labor there is profit we must understand that it's not just about hard work a lot of believers have taken this to mean that let me work some more as I work some more, I work some more, and work some more, which is fine. But you must understand that whatever you are doing, you must make sure that God is in it. I say God will be in it. In the name of Jesus. It was Antonin Sartilengis that said this very wonderful thing in his book, The Intellectual Life. He said, the reward of a work is to have produced it, and the reward of effort is to have grown by it. Anytime you work, you see something as a product. Anytime you put effort, you grow. So the devil doesn't want you to put effort because it is effort that eventually helps you to work. When you take the steps to do something, the worst result is that you grow by it. That's why I'm, not, I'm never afraid to initiate a program and say, this is what next we're going to do. The worst that can happen is that we don't get the results we expected. So what? At least we still have our life. We go again. We try again. We re-strategize and go again. Praise the Lord. But a lot of people will try once. They say, ah, oh, pastor, I can't try it again. I did that exam once, and I, the kind of result they gave me is like, I should not do it again. No, you go back. Because that exam, as far as the picture you can see ahead of you is concerned, that exam is a gate, and you know it. So that gate must open to you. I say that gate must open to you, and it will open to you of its own accord in the name of Jesus. But you put the effort, then you see what not to do next time. When I used to teach young children about passing 11 plus exams, I tell them, it's only two things. I don't have many things to tell them. I say, it's only two things. You need speed and accuracy. Is that not what I used to say? Speed and accuracy. If you can get speed, all of you that have children that are going, doing 11 plus, tell them, son, daughter, just get speed and accuracy. When you can be fast and you are accurate, you'll be on top. That's free of charge. Praise the Lord. So we, but you must make the effort in order for your work to produce. 
The Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Ecclesiastes 9.10. When he talks about your might there, you must understand Isaiah 11 talks about the spirit of might. So your might there is not just your physical power. A lot of us are limited because we are trying to do things in our physical strength. We must understand every day, ask God for help. There are ways that God can help you that it is impossible for this, your mental being, to phantom it out. The fourth thing is strategy. I'll take them very quickly because I know time is gone. Strategy. Someone say strategy. This is very important. You have to be strategic. Everyone needs to run their race strategically as inspired by God. One of the biggest problems people make is they try to copy others to run a race. There are some people who are taught by God to hop as they are running. That's their kind of race. There are some people who are taught by God to sprint. There are some people who are to limp. There are some people who are to walk. There are some people who are to just run normally. There are different kinds of running. Everything as far as God is concerned is running. You need to know your own strategy. Don't say, ah, that Pastor David, he keeps saying that he does business and is in ministry. Okay, I'll go and do business, I'll do ministry. No, that's not what I'm talking about. If God is calling you into such a thing, yes, take counsel, sit down, listen, say, you know, Pastor, God is calling me into ministry and these days you've been saying, I really want to. The next thing I'll tell you is, be sure God is calling you and then get your strategy from him. But everyone God calls, he gives a strategy. The Bible will say to Saul, he say, I will tell you what you must do. He said to Peter, follow me and I will make you different instructions to two of the greatest pillars of the New Testament. One followed him physically and God made him in the person of Peter. The other one did not follow him because he had already gone, but he also got his own strategy sent through Ananias and Barnabas and those people that helped him at the beginning. And then later on, the likes of Timothy, the likes of Lydia, and all those people got strategically positioned in his place so that he could reach the Gentiles that he was meant to reach. Somebody say strategy. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Paul said, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receive a prize? Read this last part with me. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Tell your neighbor for me, there is a way. You must run your race. It's very different from mine. Paul said, run in such a way. The day I saw these three words, I said, wow. So there is a way I must run. There is a way you must run. There is a way you must run. When we all run, I am running in the way he has given to me. And I am finding fulfillment in it. When you run in the way God has given to you, you will find fulfillment. I say you will find fulfillment in the name of Jesus. The Bible says we should look at the ants. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 7. He has no captain, no overseer, but he provides his supply, her supply in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. That is the ant. A strategy. Somebody say strategy. All the other animals will eat everything they have at once and die. The ant will gather Eat little in the summer. When it's winter and everybody's looking out, the ant has something. Hallelujah. This is what you must understand about strategy. The last thing I want to say is that God wants us to manage time. We need to manage time and to have a sense of urgency. Words can never be enough for me to tell you how important time management is. Not just about appearing on time in something, but we must understand something about God. Everything is with a disposition. Ever since 
The Bible says, and God saw that it was good, and it was the first day. When he said, let there be light, and there was light, and he did the separation, and he said he saw it was good, and it was the first day. Since that day, God, since that time, since that day, God instituted time, and days began to count. The first day, the second day, the third day, because each one is for an accomplishment. What needed to come the first day needed to come, so that second day can be meaningful. For man to have been created on the sixth day, everything from day one to five needed to have been in place. This is why we must all understand that there is a time for everything. Don't think that you will be 30 years old forever. Jesus said in John chapter 9 verse 4, I must work the work of him who has sent me while it is day. Because the night is coming when no man can walk. There is a time called day in your life. The energy I have now, I jump, I fly, I take my cap, London, back, preach, do this. It's not going to be there forever. Not that I'm cursing myself. But I know it won't be there forever unless I want to be in delusion. So now that I have it, I flog the car, I go, I come back. Because I know that the time will come. I'll be saying, Toby, can any of you help me to London today? (laughs) Help me to London or get your son to come and pick me up at the airport, okay? That's, 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 that's. But you would have sown the seed from now. There is a time for everything. Jesus said, while it is what? Day. While it is day. Martin Luther said, there are two days in my calendar. This day and that day. The day I get a revelation of what to do and the day it happens. That is how he lives till he died. He was 39 years old. People think that Martin Luther King Jr. lived up to, that he, that he uh, lived up to 90 something. Because of the impact of what he did in civil rights. He was not 40 years when he was shot down in the late 60s. You must understand, you have time to make impact. I was in Doha Airport in April 2012, and uh, I was sat on the concourse waiting to board. I was coming from China, stopover there in Qatar, because it's Qatar Air, and uh, the Holy Spirit said to me, I wasn't praying or anything, he just said to me, he said, son, he said, opportunities are like airplanes at an airport. You don't need all of them to get to where you are going, but you need to be on time to catch yours. Ever since that day, I understood that opportunities will always present themselves in diverse ways, but you must be a strategic time manager to find the right opportunity and to hit it at the right time. When God said to me in that place in May 26, 2013, look at that building, it's available. That was the time. I'd been living in Warsaw at that point in time, seven years before now. I never saw the building, never had plans for it. But when the time came, God said this. The very next day, the agent told my wife, because I flew off to Dubai for some function. The agent told my wife that some other people were viewing. If I did not move at that time, we might have lost the building. You will not lose what is yours. I say you will not lose what is yours in the name of Jesus. And I'm sorry if I keep talking about this building. I talk about many things. There are certain things I'm not talking about now because it's not yet time. When the time comes, you will hear them from me. I just talk about some things that I know that we should hear for now. God has placed everything strategically in its time. And my God will keep you diligent according to your time of life. In the name of Jesus, you will not miss your turning. Anytime you need to turn and take the next big step in life, you will not miss it. I say you will not miss it. 
in the name of Jesus. Whatever is attempting to make you afraid to take decisions and to move into the things that God has for you. Today, God will give you victory over them. In the name of Jesus, it is well with you. Right. Well, well.